Bible there, turn to Hebrews chapter 12 for me. If you don't have a Bible there, it's okay. But can I encourage you something? There's something great about having a, 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 a Bible with you. I, I read a survey this week and they were saying how, you know, a lot of people have their Bibles on their phones. I'm not judging you. Why, are you feeling something from God? It's not me. But I read a survey and they were saying how a lot of people now, they have their tablets or their, their devices in church. They take them to church instead of the, the Bible. I don't know, there's just something about the tangible, for me anyway, I'm maybe a bit old-fashioned perhaps, but there's something about it. But anyway, they did this study and they surveyed all these people that turn up the church with their devices and stuff. You know, what? and I'm guaranteeing that none of you are the normal stats here, but they found this out, 80% of what they're doing on their devices or phones during church has nothing to do with the Word of God. So because it's there, you're looking at, at you, maybe you're looking at a verse, then a text message pops up. So then they're pressing the button, looking at the text message. Then your brain's thinking about, are we going to get out of here on time? What do I say? They want to meet me at one o'clock. Uh, and, and, and they're saying that people are so distracted that they're recommending, you know what, why don't you just take a good old-fashioned Bible to church? Just a thought. I'm throwing it out there, see where it lands, and when it come back at me, that's fine. Um, but I do think there's something powerful about, you know, just have the Bible. The other thing is I want you to, you need to go back to this book. You know, in, I think it's Acts 17, the church in Berea, the Bible says they were more noble than the Thessalonians. Paul went to Thessalonica and he preached to them. And they just took it. Went <laughs> and then the Bible says he went to, went to Berea and it makes special mention. It says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. In, they heard the words of Paul. They, they too went <laughs> and took it, but they went back to the scriptures to search the scriptures to make sure that it was true. That's another reason why I want us to get into the habit of, of, of going back to our Bible. It doesn't matter who it is. I don't care whether it's me. I don't care whether it's your favourite TV preacher or whatever. Go back here because none of us are above deception. And every one of us will preach a theology we believe today. But you know what? There's stuff. I go back. I've got tapes of when I used to be an a, a associate pastor of another church. Tapes. Yeah. To, anyway, they used to be these plastic things with reels. I go back and I listen to some of those messages back then and I've kept, I've kept them over the years. And I go through them nowadays and you know what I do? I start listening to it, I turn it off and I'm throwing it in the bin because I'm going, I can't believe I used to teach that. can't believe that I used to think like that. That's not, not to necessarily say it was wrong. Maybe I'm wrong now, maybe that was right. You know? but, but, but we do, we do uh, evolve with life experience and we evolve with deeper understanding of the things of God and we perhaps become less black and white and a bit more grey and a whole bunch of things. But, but I want us to be a group of people that, that you know, th- this is where we get our, our, our source of truth from, all right? So don't let anyone deceive you. Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, now, I've just spent all that time talking to you that I haven't even turned there myself. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Everybody would know this verse, would have read it many times and heard it preached on many times. I'm going to need these. It's just no good. Here we go. Thank you. <laughs> Who said that? I can't say. <laughs> Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I had the privilege and honour this week of going to a funeral of a wonderful, wonderful man of God. Many of you would know Reverend Roy Cowan. Familiar with Roy? He was an amazing man of God. Um, passed away <coughs> uh, a few days ago. He did, yeah. His funeral was at Austinville Baptist Church on Thursday. I drove into the church to go to the funeral and uh, those of you that have been to that church would know it's a massive car park. They've got a lot of space. They were parked out on the road. That's right. You, they were parked on the driveway. Cars were parked on the road. That's the respect that this man had within the community. I saw uh, members of council there that weren't people of faith but, but just respected this man and what he stood for, who he was. Um, when he sat down, I'm looking up at the pictures, you know, they're showing the pictures before the, the, the service, and pictures were flashing up of, I didn't realise how many things this man had been involved in and, and part of the instigation of bringing to this country things like chrysalis. Some of, anyone ever been through a chrysalis? It's like a, a, a youth, uh, a mace. Anyone been through a mace walk? So he was a part of instigating that. Uh, Kairos, which was a prison ministry, was a part of the initiation of that. Uh, and, and ministry after ministry, they wrote all this stuff. And people were there representing all these different ministries. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the pictures flashing across up the top. And I saw this picture of about 50 young, youngish looking people. And my eyes were drawn to a T-shirt, and I saw this T-shirt and thought, because it's a bit of a distance away, and I'm I'm looking at the T-shirt and going, I used to have a T-shirt like that. And then I looked a bit closer and went, oh, hang on, I'm wearing that T-shirt, that's actually me. And it was back in 1990, before I got across the line, before I became a Christian, uh, I went to a a chrysalis, a youth three-day retreat, and it was amazing. It really opened my heart up. Uh, part of my journey, a special part of my journey. I remember um, years later when I was an associate pastor in Ballina, Roy Cowan actually came and sat in a service. I didn't recognise him, but he recognised me all these years later. came up to me after the service and wanted to chat. Amazing man. While I was driving up the hill towards the funeral, this verse popped into my head. We are surrounded by so great witnesses. And I, and, and I just had this thought, it just popped into my head. And I thought... I'm going to get up there to the service and Roy's body will be in a box. It'll, it'll be the body in a coffin. But it's just his body. It's not Roy. It's just the tent that he carried himself around in while he was here. And I thought, you know what? Roy is now one of those witnesses that are up there cheering us on. He's one of those guys that has run his race. He's one of these guys that had, had given everything he had with the time frame that God gave him down here on earth. He gave everything he had to furthering the mission of God, to building the kingdom of God in whatever way he could. They got up and they spoke about him and his wife and his kids and they talked about a man who was human. He was just as normal as the rest of us. You know, he loved this sport. They talked about he was really passionate followers and he loved to follow sport and watch sport. Um, his son shared a story of one time he was backing the tractor up on a farm because he was an old farmhand, backing a tractor up to hook up a trailer. And he said, because I was so small at the time, I put my foot on the clutch and the clutch just pushed me straight back up. And he said, I nearly ran Dad over. And he said, and I never forgot Dad's reaction. Dad, let me know I nearly ran him over that day. So I thought, he's a man that's just human like the rest of us, yet had been involved in and had done so many wonderful things to build the kingdom of God here on planet Earth had involved himself in things that pushed back the kingdom of darkness. You know, there's this, this spiritual battle going on. It happens in, in our lives. It's happening in the world 
where there's this kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. And ever since the cross, the kingdom of light has been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, the Bible says, and violent men take it by force. There's this sense in which we are pushing back against that. Our actions, our attitudes, our choices, what we do. We build the kingdom of God. We work in that environment and we're giving heaven more ground here on earth or sometimes we have people doing the opposite. They're bringing, uh, push, trying to push back the kingdom of light. But you can't stop what God started. God will finish what he starts. God is doing his work on planet earth. God's going to win. I read the last page there. Okay, He does. He gets over the top. Which is a good thing. But... I was there and I was thinking, man, he's always up there now and he's one of these guys that's leaning over the balconies of heaven, cheering us on. Um, I was telling a friend about this thought I had when I was at the funeral and he said, oh, it sounds like you're talking about MasterChef. And I thought, yes, that's exactly the picture I've got in my head. You're not MasterChef, right? You've got these guys down here and they're cooking away and they're making their souffles or their butter chickens or whatever it is that they're making, their baked beans on toast if it was me, uh, eggs on toast, spaghetti on toast, or all three together on toast. It tastes just as good. Making there, and you've got all these people on the balconies and they're all around the balcony leaning over and they're looking and they're cheering them on. Come on, four minutes to go, three minutes to go, two minutes to go, and they're cheering and clapping. Oh, that's amazing. And they're talking to each other. Look what he's just done. He added two teaspoons of sugar. That's amazing. I would have only done one, but look what he's done. He's mixed beetroot and carrot and Vegemite. I would never thought of that, but look what they've grabbed for. And they're cheering on, and they're stunned and astounded at the amazing feats these guys are doing in the kitchen. But sometimes, sometimes they're up there scratching their head, aren't they? Sometimes they're leaning over there going, did she realise the souffle's on fire? Uh, love, <laughs> You might want to put a bit of water on that. Or, or maybe they're looking going, the, she's just putting the chicken in now. Does she realise there's about 40 seconds left? Hasn't timed that. Re- they're not always looking over with amazement and adornment at what these guys are doing. Sometimes they're looking over there going, what's going on? And I had this thought, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and Roy being up there looking down, I thought, I just imagine this picture. Imagine Roy walking into heaven and everybody clapping. Roy's home. Woo! Roy's home. Yeah! And it was a real celebration. He, to, he, he knew two months before that he was going. He came, he, he came to a place of peace, his wife said, two months before. So he planned his own funeral. Who was going to speak? Who was going to what? He even said to the preacher that did the funeral, he said, here's the deal. If you don't finish this service by preaching the good news of the cross of Jesus to people, they do funeral. Go get me somebody else. So the guy said, I'm sorry, I have to do this. And he preached the gospel at the end of the service. It was amazing. But I pictured Roy getting up there and Jesus, you know, Jesus putting his arm around him and just having a bit of a 30-second chat to him. And then putting his hands on his shoulders going, right now, Roy, over the balcony, start cheering. And Roy walks over to the balcony and he cheers them on. And I thought, I wonder when Roy looked over the edge and looked down and all the other saints of God that persevered pressed through trials, did the tough yards, had promises from God that weren't even for them but were for next generation or the next generation, that were persecuted, that physically lost their lives for their faith. This whole history of faith that we have, that Hebrews 11, he lists all these people and these things they went through and, and it's still being written. Think about men and women of God you know 
that have gone on ahead of people you might have personally had contact with. Maybe you've read books about them or heard their stories. And they're up there and they're cheering on this generation. When they look down on Ginelaba, when they look down on Arise Church, when they look down on Lismore Region, when they look down on Australia or the Western Church, I thought, I wonder what expression's on their faces. I wonder if they're going, yeah, woo, you're killing it, good stuff. Yeah, look what they're doing over here, wow, it's amazing. Hey, that's probably more than you could have ever asked or thought yourself, eh? Or do they look down and are they going, what are you doing? Well, why are you so focused on that? This is, you should be, what, what's, what's, I wonder what expression would be on their faces right now as they sat up there over the balconies of heaven and they looked down upon us. <laughs> and I personally, I started thinking driving home, I wonder what they think of my commitment to, to my commitment to building the kingdom of God. My commitment to the biggest picture, you know. <laughs> we're, we're going to a conference this week and... Um, you know, my, I'm going to pack my bag, okay, because we're away for three days, so I'll pack a bag. It's, it's literally be a bag. It's all it'll be. It'll, it'll take me probably a total of about five minutes. I'll just go chuck, chuck, chuck. Got it covered. Undies, socks. My wife will pack her bags as well. <laughs> she'll, take, she'll probably take five minutes to decide which bag. <laughs> five minutes. To decide a second bag, another five to perhaps a third. Five minutes to decide which to take. Then another ten minutes to call that list down to just the ones, the, the right ones. She does, she's spiritual, pray about it though, don't worry. <laughs> another bit of time for this. Like, it'll take a while to get her bags packed. But then we'll go off to the conference and usually when we go away, you come home and you always say to me, I didn't wear half of... Well, or was that me that says I didn't wear half of what I took? You probably do, yeah. Okay, she'll make sure she does. But I'll come home, I'll always come home and go, I didn't even wear half of what I took, you know. But I put this little amount of time in to packing for this, this, this big uh, three-day conference, but I'll take five minutes to pack. I only take such a little time to pack for such a, a, a big thing. This life I've got down here, it's kind of like just the packing phase. When I think about eternity, uh, this part of my life is the shortest part. If I really believe that I'll go on out of the body with King Jesus for the rest of eternity, then this part I'm experiencing right now, this is the smallest part of my existence. The mother load of my existence will happen the other. So am I using this time for the best interests of the other side? Or am I just assumed with this time that it's all about this time? You know, it's interesting when we look at the prayers of the Bible, it's interesting when we look at uh, 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 the, the instruction that God would give. God was always saying to people, think eternal. Don't think temporal. Because the temporal things will pass. It, it'll go. 
the cares, the worries of life, they'll be gone soon. The, the, the drama, the stresses, the, the things you invest in, your house will one day fall down, your car will die, your, your, your bank account will dissipate. Either it'll get you through the days you end, and then guess what? Somebody else is going to get your money anyway. It's all going to go, you know? I'm not saying, by the way, spend everything, give it away, and don't succeed. I'm, we should. But what I'm saying is that there's more to our existence than just this. One day we're going to stand on that balcony, we're going to look down, and we're going to have a different perspective of everything down here because we'll be sitting at a different camera angle. And I wonder whether the saints up there from their camera angle look down, whether they're going, yes, they're nailing it, or are they looking down going, I wish I could come back down and share a few thoughts with you. I wish I could come down and say to you, if you could see the beauty of where I am right now, you would do anything you could to make sure that other people experience it. You would, be, you would be committing your life to something way bigger than yourself if you had an eternal view, if you had a big picture view, if you thought about the kingdom and not just your own small kingdom, but if you thought eternally with the kingdom in mind, maybe we would do things a bit different. Maybe we would think a little bit different. Maybe we would act a little bit different. I think that's what God wants. I think God wants a group of people that are so enamored with him and that are committed to building the kingdom of God no matter where they are no matter what they're doing uh, 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 Gary last week threw a verse at us 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. says be steadfast and movable abounding in the work of the Lord you know he's writing this to the Corinthian church so the, the Corinthian church was probably the most messed up church in the whole Bible these people came out of a pagan background, had brought so much of their pagan beliefs and practices into Christian faith. But yet at the same time, God, by his Holy Spirit, was doing the most amazing things amongst this group of imperfect people, you know? But he says, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I think when they're sitting up on their balconies and they look over the balconies of heaven at us, I reckon that's probably one thing they're looking for. Are these people abounding in the work of the Lord? Are these people abounding in building the kingdom? Is it something that's on their mind? Or is it just something they think about occasionally when they read a book? Or maybe when they come to church on a Sunday? Or is it something that they live for? These guys, he's not writing to preachers and pastors and professional ministers. He's writing to, to, to butchers and bakers and candlestick makers. So he's writing to. No matter where you are, no matter what sphere of life you're in, no matter what you're doing, do we have it within us, a passion to build the kingdom of God where we are right now? In any way that we can. Is it, a, is, it, is, it, is it a thought at the forefront of our minds or is it just a, in the background there if the opportunity comes? Or are we that passionate? I mean, I think, I often think, I ask myself this question, if I had a cure for cancer, if I, had a cure, I knew I had a cure for cancer, would I be embarrassed to talk to a cancer victim about it? If I knew that I knew that my magic cucumber would instantly heal your cancer. If you just take my cucumber, it'll heal you. Anything in your body will... If I, if I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this cucumber could save a cancer victim, I would not have anything in my mind other than wanting that cancer victim to have this cucumber. I wouldn't be scared. I wouldn't be ashamed. I wouldn't be holding back. I would want them to have my magic cucumber because I know it's going to help you. I know it's going to help you. And you know what? We've only got one thing that's going to help the community and the world around us, and that's the good news of Jesus. The death, burial, the resurrection. Uh, Romans 1.16, I think it is. Paul writes and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who would believe. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. He says the power of God 
that the ability to change an individual or community is in that message of the cross. That's what changes people. You know, I, I often think we're up here now on the hill. We're, we're in this building, right? I hope and pray that nobody's sitting back going, okay, well, what programs are we going to run now then? Now we're here, what programs are we going to do? You know what the greatest program God has on planet Earth at the moment? It's you and me. We are the program. We are the program. If we don't carry something inside of us that wants to see people come into a saving relationship with God, it really doesn't matter what else we do. Because there'll be a bunch of people that aren't kingdom-minded running programs or doing things or whatever. If it's not in us, it won't come out of us. It won't come out of us. And when those guys are sitting on the balconies of heaven looking over, I, I wonder, I, just have, I can't get that thought out of my head this week, thinking, Lord, I wonder, what are they thinking? Are they, th- are they, are they cheering me on? Or are they looking down going, man, I, you're distracted. You, you, this whole bunch of things. Look, continue on in that verse. It says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. It's, it's not running like Forrest Gump. Anyone seen the movie Forrest Gump? Yeah. You know, I googled this week. Why, why was Forrest Gump running? I did, I googled it because I'm, I'm interested. I've watched the movie, why is he running? And there's these theories, oh, he was running to try to find the journey. Jenny, you know, was it Jenny? Jenny, yeah. I'm trying to find my Jenny. But then I don't think he was because Jenny went that way and he went that way. Somebody else said he was running to find his next true love. And somebody else said, oh, he was, he was uh, what was he doing? He was running because he just wanted to run to the end of the street. And then when he got there, he thought, oh, why don't I run to the end of the town? Got there, he thought, oh, why don't I run to the end of the state? And he thought, why don't I run to the end of... But 90% of the people came up with this answer. Why was Forrest Gump running? We don't know. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know. This is not talking about run like Forrest Gump. Run like we don't know why we're running. We're called to run with a focus. Amen? We need to run with focus. We need to keep focus on Jesus and focus on the kingdom. I, I was playing touch football uh, about f- four weeks ago. I'm the president of Ballon Touch Association. I'm down there and I'm playing. And I got myself in a, in a difficult situation. It was not difficult for most of you, but for me it is. Because when I see a young guy that thinks he's faster than me, my pride kicks in. And I go, yeah, whatever, mate, watch this. And so I'm standing here and there's this young guy about where you're sitting right there. And the ball gets passed to me and I see, he looks across and he sees this old fella and he goes, oh, he didn't even bother trying to come across to get me. He just stood there and thought, you'll catch it, I'll get him. And I thought, like what, you will? So he's passed me the ball and all my pride, I went, I'll teach you, you young girl. And I went, bang, I put my foot down. I went from zero to 100 in about three minutes. <laughs> it felt like three minutes, but it wasn't. I mean, I, I powered. I was gone. And I am running down the sideline. I've got the ball and I notice out of my vision, this dude's been left in my dust. He's in my dust. Gone. I'm running. And anyway, while I'm running, I've got the try line in front of me, but what do I do? I thought, I'm just going to glance over my shoulder, one of those catch me if you can type looks. As soon as I turned, my left knee went buckle, buckle, wobble. My knee drove into the ground at 100 miles an hour. I bounced into the air, landed on my shoulder in the ground. That was the end of me. I, I couldn't get up. People are running over. You okay? You okay? And all I could think to say was, but I beat him. I was beating him. I was beating him. 
I got up, ended up going for x-rays the next day. I've, I've done the shoulder joint in here. My knee's still swollen and bruised four weeks later. I still can't. But, you know, but I don't care. I mean, I'll gladly go down there and look at that guy and still say, I'll beat you. That's all I cared about. I beat you. But I was running so fantastic. I was killing it. I was going the distance. I was going hard. I was heading towards that line. And as soon as I took my focus off the trial line, I lost my focus. Bang, I fell in a heap. And I reckon a lot of us are like that. A lot of us can be like that. I think that's why he's writing this. You see, the, the Hebrew church, nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book. What we do know is that this book was written to a group of people who were beginning to struggle in their faith. They were beginning to go, this is difficult. This is hard. Why don't we take the easy road? Why don't we make a few adjustments and changes so the persecution coming against us is not so bad? Maybe we'll compromise with the world around us a bit. Maybe we'll create a faith that looks a bit more like the world around us so we can still love Jesus, but it will look a lot like it. Maybe if they run parallel side by side, we won't cop as much flack. And the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about this. He's saying to them, you know, get into the word of God. Stick close to true doctrine. Don't listen to false ideas. Don't be lazy, he goes on. He says a whole bunch of things to them. And it culminates here where he says, listen, we're surrounded by a bunch of people that did the hard yards, that went hard after God, that focused on the kingdom, that laid a foundation. Because of them, you're here today. Don't be the ones that drop the ball. Don't be the ones that compromise. Don't be the ones that let go of the focus. Don't be the ones that get caught up in all kinds of other things. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix them on Jesus. Don't let them get sidetracked and distracted on all the other things that are going on around us. Because one day, my life will be over. It's going to finish. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. I could have another 50 years, another 100 years. I have no idea of the time frame I have. All I know is I have this moment right now. And I'm asking myself right now, am I living this for the purpose of the kingdom? Am I living this for the sake of the good news of Jesus? Is that how I'm living my life right now? And I, 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 I look around at, and I pick on it a lot. And I don't mean to pick on it a lot because I am part of the problem. But having lived in a third world country and seen people that have nothing, no money, no food, don't have fancy buildings like we do, didn't have a whole bunch of musicians up there playing, didn't have lights, didn't have TVs. All they had was the good news of Jesus, dying, being buried and resurrected for their sins. All they had was the reality of the Holy Spirit in their life and these guys are doing amazing things for God. I reckon when they're on the balconies of heaven looking down in India, I know with the people I met and the people we know and the places we went to, I reckon they're cheering them on. You guys are nailing it. You're killing it. And they're out there and they're kingdom-minded and they're kingdom-focused in what they're doing because they actually believe we have the magic cucumber. We have the magic cucumber. I wonder sometimes when we look at the Western church, do we really believe we have the magic cucumber? Yeah. I don't know. Don't know. I look at myself sometimes and I think, did I go through today believing I have the magic cucumber? Or did I not? Because the only thing that's going to change the world around us and the people around us is the message of the good news of Jesus. That's what changes lives. That's what transforms people. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, you know what? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Run. Run with focus. He says, run with endurance. Let us run with endurance. 
We've all heard it said that the Christian life is a, a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, uh, I, I was reading about, I've, I've got his name written down here. His name was uh, Stephen Aquari. Anyone ever heard of Stephen Aquari? He was from Tanzania. He finished last in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico. He finished last, dead last. As a matter of fact, he finished one hour after the second last person finished. He injured himself along the way. But he pushed on. He wanted to finish that race. And an hour after the last guy had crossed and people had left the stadium, Stephen hobbled in, all battered and bruised and bleeding. He hobbled in to the stadium. He got interviewed afterwards. And somebody asked him, why did you do it? Like, why keep going? Here's what he said. He said, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me here to finish it. They sent me here to finish it. And none of us have been put here just to start. But we're put here to finish. We're put here to finish. I am terrible at finishing things. Come to my house. I've started no amening from the front, place. I start reading this book. I've got 20 books with flaps because <laughs> I just move on to something else. But I don't want to lose what I'm up to, you know. I've got paintings that I've started to, frames I've started to make for paintings. I've got uh, parts of the garage I've started to clean. Um, you know, I couldn't tell you the amount of things I've started. But what's the point in starting? You're not going to finish. The only reason you should be starting is because the goal is to finish. The goal is not just to start, it's to finish and finish well. And these Hebrew believers were in a position where they weren't necessarily looking like they were going to finish well. And so the writer says to them, you've got to run with endurance. You've got to run with focus. And he says, you've got to run without hindrances. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Sin we get. Sin we understand as a church. We go, yeah, lay aside sin. We shouldn't be, you know. And, and sin is an ancient Greek word. It simply means missing the mark. It was an archery term. God would pull his arrow back and go, bang, shoot it. And if it fell short of the mark, the poor old guy up the end would call out, sin. It meant you fell short of the mark. That's what it is. And when we, in those areas of our life where we fall short, we, we, we know that. We get that as believers, don't we? But he says it's not just about laying aside sin. He said, what about the weights? What about the things that encumber us that slow us down? They're not necessarily sin, but are they slowing you down from running after Jesus? I think we live in probably the most distracted generation in human history. The most distracted generation in human history. People wake up in the morning and they've got these little things called mobile phones. And... uh, 50 people. I, I know what 50 people are doing before I even put my feet on the floor. I've got 50 voices telling me, have a nice day, or their latest philosophies, or their, what their breakfast cereal looks like, or whatever, you know? And I get up. And then I go about my day, and I've got my emails on this device. And as soon as an email comes, people are so impatient now. It's almost like you know, 20 years ago, if somebody sent me an email, or 20 years ago, they might not have. Say 10 years ago, somebody sent me an email and I never got back to them for 24 hours, that would have been considered okay. No one died. The equilibrium of the planet did not fall out of shape. The world did not stop spinning. Nations did not crumble. They just waited 24 hours and I'll get back to them. (laughs) Now, we've all got emails on our phone. Why? And they come on in and we feel like we're going to get... And if you don't get straight back to somebody, you're getting another one in 10 minutes going, what's wrong? Are we not friends? Do you not like me? What's happening? Our attention spans are dropping. I, I read things in the Bible like, be still and know I am God. 
Who knows how to be still anymore? We've got a whole generation of kids coming through who don't even know what it means to be still, to hear the voice of God, to quiet themselves enough to know what the Spirit of God is saying. It's an epidemic. Maybe some of us are like that. Maybe we've got things that slow us down. They're not necessarily sin, but are they keeping you from the best that God has for you? Maybe they're poor relationships that are in our world that we just know that you're just pulling me back from God. This is not, you're encumbering me, you're slowing me down. Maybe it is technology. You know? Maybe it's habits, things that we have in our world that are holding us back from God. There can be all kinds of things that pull us back from God. You know, I'm convinced. I, I, I left these seats here. I don't know if you noticed when you came on in, but notice the chairs there. I didn't put them back in the shed after last week. And I did that deliberately because I want us to walk in every Sunday and I want us to look at every one of those chairs. I want you to look at all the empty chairs around you. That, to me, I see an empty chair. I go, that's an opportunity for someone to hear the good news of Jesus this morning. That shouldn't be empty. Someone should be in that chair right now. See, I'm convinced. They come here, I'm convinced that you're all good people. I'm convinced that they will, will, will be accepted. They'll be welcomed. I'm convinced that they will hear the word of God preached from here. I'm convinced that, that we create an environment where the Spirit of God can touch people's hearts and do things. I'm convinced. It's a good place. And I look at empty chairs and I think there's an opportunity. Last week was, was beautiful because we, God gave us a vision of what it could look like with the place full. I kept on thinking, God, thank you. You're giving us a visual. This is a vision of what should be happening each week. We should be, should be more people hearing about Jesus, being motivated to follow God, being, being, being enlisted in the kingdom of God. When Dell got up last week and stood up here and talked about Jesus... I looked at Dell and I thought, God, thank you. That's a vision for my life. I want to be fired up for God at that age. I want to be still up there preaching, talking to people about Jesus, carrying that fire of God in my life. God gave, gave us a vision last week, I felt like, individually for ourselves. He gave us a vision corporately. But you know what? I'm, I'm convinced of this. To see all that come to pass, we need to be the kind of people that the Bible is talking about. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to change the world. It's the Holy Spirit that people need. They don't need classy-looking buildings or fancy worship or any of that sort of stuff. People need Jesus. People need Jesus. I was praying for a guy at, at the funeral. A friend of mine has got bone cancer. And I'll finish up now. And he was standing there, he came up to me and we were chatting and I've known him for many, many years and I asked him, how's he going? He contracted bone cancer some time back and struggling. He said, you're not going to believe this, Alan. He said, until I got bone cancer, he said, I never went to the doctors, I was so healthy. And he's a real, real man of God, he's, he's a great guy. But he said, now I've got this cancer and he said, I went to the doctors and they discovered a flap on the side of my heart as well. He said, if it falls off, goes down to my lungs, I can die. If it falls off, goes in the bloodstream, goes to my brain, I can have a stroke. He said, I just, you wouldn't pick it. Without even thinking, I just put, found myself putting my hands on him and just going, you know what? God, bring healing to this man. Do something in this man's body, Lord. He needs you. And then I had another friend of mine, an ex-Uniting Church minister, who happened to saunter along as we were, I was talking, and he put his hand on there and prayed too. And without even thinking about it, I just turned to him. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, you know what? This is what the church needs. If I go to church again, have to sit through another self-help seminar or another self-motivation seminar I will jump up the front and I will knock him out myself 
You know what got me into all my problems before I came to Christ? Me. I don't want to go to church and be told I can help myself. I can't help myself. But I know that God can. And I know that the Holy Spirit in me can do great things in my life. And I know that if I have anything to offer the world around me, it's the Holy Spirit through me. It's God. It's the message of the cross. Amen? It's nothing else. Are we going to be people? I'll leave you with this thought. Three types of people. And they're sitting in every church in the place around this nation this morning. First ones are people who've got their fire insurance and they're happy with that. We're saved by grace through faith. You can press into God, press out of God, whatever. You're saved by grace through faith. There are fruits of salvation, yes, but you're saved by grace. Okay? If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you're going to heaven. And some people are happy with that. I've got my fire insurance and I'm going to heaven and that's, that's it, I'm happy. Second, a lot of people have got their fire insurance and they've dealt with sin and they're holy and happy. I don't sin. I don't do anything wrong. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We, all, we know we all do. But hey, I've dealt with the big ones. I don't this, I don't that. I've dealt with the big ones. I've given my life to Christ. I've got my fire insurance. Plus, I'm walking out a holy life. Oh, my conscience is good. I feel clean. I'm walking that way. It's good. And they're happy with that. And that's great because they're going to go to heaven. It's wonderful. And we'll be up there and be high-fiving them and leaning over the balcony with them. Third group of people are these. They've got their fire insurance policy. They're going to heaven. They've dealt with the sin in their life, but they've gone, that's not all there is to it, God. There are things slowing me down. There are things holding me back. They're not sin, but they're pulling me back from you. They're pulling me back from pressing into you, Jesus, from getting everything out of you that I can. They're holding me back from being the greatest expression of the kingdom of God on planet Earth that I can be. And they could be relationships. They could be habits. They could be passions. They could be, they're not wrong. But the things I know are pulling me back. Maybe it's sleep. You know? I don't have time to pray. Yes, you do. I don't have time to read my Bible. Yes, you do. Stop kidding yourself. We've all got 24 hours a day and all the saints have the same amount of time. It's just what distracts us during that time. What's most important? I just felt challenged. I want to leave that with you. This a little bit different to our normal sort of way we go with church. But I was so impacted by this man's life. He was a great man of God. He left a fantastic, amazing legacy amongst people. And I believe that Roy's up there right now and he's looking down. And I reckon this morning he's probably cheering us on going, come on, guys, be those kind of people. Lay aside not only sin, lay aside the weights, the things that are holding you back and go hard after God, amen? Go hard after God. Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. And God, I just pray that you would solidify in our hearts, God, whatever it is that you're saying to each person here this morning, Lord, when we get up from this place and we leave, God, do not let the birds of the air come and take it away and snatch it away. God, I pray, Father, protect, uh, God, by your Holy Spirit, what you have said. Seal it in our hearts, God, that it would take root, it would grow, and produce fruit. God, fruit for your kingdom, fruit for eternity. And Father, I pray in the next seven days as we leave this place, every one of us here, give us an opportunity in the next seven days to share the love of God with somebody that does not yet know it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Have a great week. Uh, please feel like you don't have to run off. It's our place. We've got tea and coffee and some more biscuits and stuff over there as well. Um, if anyone would like prayer, or you feel like God's been speaking to you, whatever, feel free to come on up. We'd love to pray with you, have a chat with you, hear what you've got to say, hear what God's doing. That'd be a blessing.